So as we go into this, this really this part two, we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 16 through 22. Um, but let's kick off reading verses 16 through 18. And it says this, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay, now, uh, Paul speaks of this double reconciliation uh, that has taken place, stating uh, that the hostility uh, has been put to death, this hostility between Jew and Gentile, between us and God, has been put to death through what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, John Stott, a, a theologian, he, he, he said, God turned away his own wrath, and we, seeing his great love, turned away ours also. You know, the words in here, uh, when it kicks off in verse 16, and it says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, it demonstrates that, that they are brought together, and then together they are brought to God. Okay, that's really important. So they are made one together, and then they are brought to God. And in other words, reconciliation to each other is inseparable from reconciliation to God. As both are brought to God, they are brought to each other. And as we have seen even last week, the cross put to death the hostility and divide between us and a perfect and holy God. In Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so Jesus paid this price, this, uh, this price of death which, which God required and he satisfied that, 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 that divine justice. And, and it says in Galatians 3.13 where, where he literally says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Okay, like I said last week, like, like Christ took all of that to the cross with him to the point where it literally says that curse of the law he took by becoming the curse for us. It's an incredible thing. And, and, and so by doing that, he provided reconciliation for people that would believe uh, in him. And so reconcile, it, it holds this idea of turning from hostility to friendship. You know, as we think about this, Christians uh, should be leading the charge of people who forgive one another because of the forgiveness of Christ. You understand that? Like, like as a result of seeing what Christ has done on our behalf, it should be impossible for us to look to that um, and, and to be thankful and to live in light of that, but then to not forgive other people. And in particular, to forgive each other, right? Because he's talking about people that are believers. And so Jesus, like Jesus taught us to pray. In Matthew 6, 12, he says, pray like this. Forgive us our debts. What? as we also have forgiven our debtors. So the cross is how our peace was achieved, but then it transitions and it says, but now it is to be preached, it is to be proclaimed. This, this gospel of peace, he's saying, is to be preached and proclaimed through Jesus. And, and preached literally means, that word means to bring or announce good news. And it is almost always used in the New Testament in proclaiming the gospel or the good news of salvation. 
And so we see, even from Jesus' earthly ministry, he was preaching and proclaiming peace. When we see the very, like the cross itself, it was a picture of peace. His post-resurrection in John chapter 20, he presents himself to his disciples, and he says twice in 19 through 21, peace. I come in peace. I bring peace. And then we know that it's an ongoing proclamation of peace through the apostles and now through the church, which is an incredible thing. So followers of Jesus must be ready to preach this gospel of peace. Ephesians 6.15, it says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So we are to tell the world how people can have peace with God. That's what we're we're called to do. Paul uh, also could have adopted this phrase, preaching peace from Isaiah 52.7, where the prophet said this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Who proclaims, who publishes this peace. So disciples of Jesus, we're, we're called to, meet, to be, if we're a follower of Jesus, we're called to be peacemakers. Uh, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are what? The peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So we are to be peacemakers. We are to proclaim peace um, among Jesus' last words to his disciples. In John 16, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay, so in other words, we should be proclaimers of peace. Peace should be a mark of the authenticity of our faith and belief in following Jesus. Okay, so if I'm a follower of Jesus and I look at my life and, and, and there is like just a trail of dysfunction, of disunity, of broken relationships and all of this, and the only common denominator is me, there's a problem. Right? Because I am called by Scripture to be a peacemaker, not a destroyer of peace. And so as we approach a space like this, as we think about what it means to be in Christ, a Christian, it is a call to preach peace, to proclaim peace, the gospel of peace. My life should demonstrate that. I should be known in the circles that I am around, whether it's work, whether it's schooling, whether it's at home, uh, wherever I find myself, I should be known as a peacemaker. Not a peacemaker because I'm this good person, but because of my relationship with Jesus. And the peace that he has brought. And so uh, we look at this and we go, man, by the Holy Spirit, Christ proclaims his peace through believers like you and I. The world wants peace. And only when we preach Jesus can people find out how to have it. It's interesting. We just try and figure out all these different ways to find peace. And, And for some of us, it's even like peace for ourselves. And yet we totally take Jesus out of the equation. And, and not only is that needed for you and for, for me, but it's also like when we think of our culture, and I mean everybody is looking for peace, aren't they? When we think about like, like we're just like looking to vote for people. Can they bring peace? We're hopeful for peace. What, what needs to happen for this type of peace to happen over here in this nation, in this country, in these wars, all of that. And the reality is this, when Jesus is absent, peace is absent. 
Okay, and, and, and so Paul adds that this good news of peace was preached to those far away and those who were near. In other words, Gentiles and Jews. Okay, so all people. So the whole world needs to hear the gospel. The whole world. Like, like we cannot start to create a narrow lane that we say, okay, we'll, we'll preach this message. We'll proclaim this to these kind of people who look like this, who kind of align uh, belief-wise with this, and that's the lane we will stay in. Uh-uh. Nope. That's not why we're doing Easter at Matthew night. We're going boom. We want, we want to be used by God to reach all different kinds of people from all different backgrounds, all different belief systems that have been and seen through all kinds of different things. And you know what? Yeah, you may not in your flesh be like, oh, man, we're going to be BFFs. Wow, we're we're so, man, we just align with everything. No, no, no. In fact, you may actually find that you're sharing the gospel with someone that doesn't even like you. But that's the beauty. That's, that's what he calls us to. Um, and so we have to guard against, we have to guard our hearts when we're even sharing and proclaiming this peace. Because sometimes we proclaim peace to the people that we want the peace with versus the people that really need it. Those who respond to Jesus' work and message, and this is huge, it says, now have access to God. Oh, that's a big one. And notice the Trinitarian language here, because Paul says that it is through him, in other words, it's through Jesus, that we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. Okay, so you see, man, where did that Trinity thing come from? Uh, the Bible. Um, but we see the resources of the entire Trinity are ours the moment we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's all coming into play immediately. And so we see this benefit of Christ's reconciliation through the cross. A benefit is that today, that event that happened so long ago, as a result of that event, today we experience and can have access to God. And Paul's emphasizing that Jew and Gentile together can now have this. Access is used three times in the New Testament, each time referring to the believer's access to God. And in ancient times, a related word was used to describe the court official who introduced people to the king. They gave access to the king. Okay, so this term itself, it carries the idea not of possessing access in our own right or by position, but of being granted the right to come to God knowing that we'll be welcomed. That is incredible. Like, like, like the fact that, that he created this access to himself, right? Like, like sometimes um, there's people, right, in our lives that when they walk up to us, probably not here, Hopefully not, but, and we're just like, oh no, now what? Like, what now? Right? Or their name appears on your phone, and it's ringing. And you just, and you're, let's just be honest, your initial thought is, oh, yes. <laughs> so, so glad to talk to you, right? And in your head, you're like, what now? I think a lot of us think that way about God. And we think that like he's like reluctant or he doesn't really want to hear what I have to say or this and that. Do you realize that he cares so much about bringing you access to his throne that he allowed Jesus to go to the cross for you? Like, like, like Jesus was put on the cross so that you could have that access. So that you could be in that place. And it wasn't like this positional thing to where you go, hey God, I'm here. No, like we're literally, we're given that access. That he gave that 
to you. And it costs something. You know, think of all the things in your life that, that, and, that we try and gain access to, right? Like all these things, whether it's like an event or, 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 or a certain thing, you know, like, like I, I noticed like Disney just raised their prices and some of you don't even blink. You're like, of course they would. It doesn't bother me at all because I must access Disney. I must be there, right? Like, like you think of, uh, for, in San Diego where we moved from three years ago, I remember there was a couple different preschools and there were parents that camped out overnight in order to secure their child into that preschool. Preschool. Like colors, finger shapes, five, like preschool, right? Whatever it took, paying people off to get access to that school. Um, like, like concerts, things like that, sporting events, we're, like vacations. We're always like, who do we know? Who can help us get this access? Who can help us be there? Who can, who can help make this happen that we know? And we're trying to, how much do we have to pay? Whatever it is to try and gain access to whatever we want to be at, and, and yet we take that same mindset, that same attitude into a relationship with God, but the reality is this, like, like you don't bring anything significant to the equation, but he still put Jesus on that cross, allowed him to go there so that you could have free access. And, and he's the one who created that. You didn't do it. You didn't read enough. You didn't memorize enough. You didn't attend enough. No. Jesus went to the cross, and as a byproduct of that, by believing in him, you now have access that he created for you because he loves you so much, and for whatever reason, he cares about a relationship that now you can have. It says, by faith in him, we have union in the Holy Spirit and access to the Father. And so when I think about this incredible reality that now I have access to the Father, that should absolutely transform how I pray. Because it, it should mean something significant. Like, 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 I just feel like more and more our prayers are just like... And... And, like, think about what it costs just even to give you that access to the Father. How significant that is that you, in, in this current state, can, can take your request to the Father. And, and he listens and he responds and he wants you to do that. And so when you think about, like, just praying flippantly or, or, or just whatever, like, 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 no, 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 this is a big deal that we have the opportunity when we're teaching our kids to pray. Kids, this is a big opportunity. We get to talk to God. Like, we, like, like God has created a way for us to talk to him, and he wants to hear from us. This is an incredible opportunity. And so when you pray, there should be a spirit of, of, of reverence, of thankfulness, that you are even allowed with all your nastiness to approach the throne room of God. Wow. And he wants to hear you. He's not, oh, here we go again. Steve's back. Probably going to ask for the same thing. Say no again. Like, No. It's like, I put Jesus on the cross. Steve, come on. Come on, let's talk. Let's talk. I love this relationship. I love you, Steve. Let's talk. Man. That's why it says, you know, like, it says boldness, but, but we also see this. The Holy Spirit, who we now have, the Holy Spirit is continually at work to remind us and to draw us to God. 
In Galatians 4, 6 and 7, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, so, so not only do you have this access available, but now through the Holy Spirit, who you now have, the Holy Spirit is literally continuing daily to remind you that you are God's. He's continually trying to reinforce, to lead you in a direction that honors God. And not only is he doing that, but he is literally within you saying, talk to your father. Talk to your father. Talk to your father. Have you talked to your dad? Talk to him. So literally, not only do we, are we given this access that we have no right, we never deserved or could have earned, but not, we have the Holy Spirit in us who is like, you need to talk to your father. Some of you literally have gone days without praying or reading, and you missed God. You literally are like, man, I, I need to get right with God. I, I, I miss him. The Holy Spirit's like, yes, <laughs> talk, to, talk to your father. Talk to him. And so when, when, I, when, when I, in my own walk, am distant from God, when I am refusing uh, to read, when I am refusing to live in alignment with him and my prayer life is just awful and all that, I am literally saying in that moment, Holy Spirit, no. No. I'm denying that voice. We hear all the time, like, like self-talk, Right? Man, you got to talk yourself into that. you got to talk yourself up. And, and I always, when I talk about self-talk, I am the worst because I have conversations with myself all the time at my house. And it's, it's, it's actually like probably a borderline issue because my wife walks in randomly and she's like, who are you talking to now? And I'm like, you know, and so if you ever meet with me, I've already had that meeting before at my house, okay, with me. So uh, I'm the worst with self-talk. But I, but I go, man, we're like, we're continually telling people, gotta listen, gotta listen to that. But like, we're not even listening to the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're not even like responding to that. We're so caught up in us and the voice that we need to have and what we need to tell ourselves in order to achieve or, or do more. And the Holy Spirit is literally crying out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, talk to your Father, get in alignment. Follow through because literally he is the one that is bringing you into that throne room. It's incredible. And as a result of that, we can now come, it says, with boldness. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we literally now... We have access to a space you never have, have earned the right to have access to. You get to go in there, and it says what? You get to walk into the throne room of God with confidence, with boldness. You know why? Because it said in Hebrews 4, what? Like, like, the, like the condemnation, the judgment is done. He says, come and receive grace and mercy in your time of need. So I get to walk into there knowing that Jesus already paid what I never could have paid on my behalf. And so I get to walk in there and anticipate how God is going to bring grace and mercy into my life, which I desperately need. And not only that, but walking me in is the Holy Spirit. He's the introducer. Incredible. In 19 through 22, we continue. It says this. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, Paul summarizes Christ's reconciling work by giving three word pictures to illustrate with these Jewish and Gentile believers uh, who they are now, right? This new identity that they have in this new community as Christians, as the church. And the first is this. Paul says that they are no longer refugees. Now they have a citizenship, okay? And this citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And he says, Gentile believers, you are now full members of the kingdom. And the kingdom of God, it refers to where God has special rule. He has rule over everything. But in the kingdom of God in particular, he's talking about the special rule where his people are experiencing the full benefits of God. And they're responding uh, and, and the re- into the responsibilities that they're called to carry out. And, and it is the full realization uh, of what is to come um, when he comes back. But, but we, have the oppor- we have citizenship in that. At the moment, we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And when Paul is writing this, Roman citizenship was something that people prized. It meant a big deal. It had amazing benefits and privileges. And, and so as he's, as he's writing this, he's connecting this to what was important and what was of value for people in those days because they would do whatever they could to try and get that citizenship because it meant so much. And citizenship in a great country, like, like that has significant meaning, but there is nothing like being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to that. We get to live in light of that. You know, when, when someone's a foreigner in another city or country, you can, you can feel vulnerable. You can feel a lot of tension. You can, you can feel off. You can, you, can, you can experience fear in a lot of settings. And, and I think we've all maybe walked into settings that were just like, man, it, like, it was just awkward. Or, or you didn't feel like you belonged, whether it's a country or, or, or a city or, or a town. I, I remember about 15 years ago, one of my uh, closest friends was getting married, and he was getting married uh, in, I don't even know where, Arizona. Like, we think of Arizona, and we think, like, beautiful. We think of, like, Phoenix, you know, like, Sedona, all the, like, that's what we think. But there's parts of Arizona that you just go, what in the world? Like, who started this? Like, how did it happen? You know, and for whatever reason, his wedding was in one of those places. Um, But... It's amazing what we do for our spouses, amen? Um, and so he, he was getting married out there, and he was going to coach at the local high school there, and, and we all head out there just going, wow, this is, this is a calling. This is like going to the mission field. And, and I remember as we left the wedding, we were hungry, and we stopped in this little, uh, maybe a town, a town, and, and you know, we stop at this, this little restaurant, said restaurant, and, and you walk in, and you can also fill up your gas. I think the restaurant turns into a bar. It's also the grocery store, the post office. If you need a key made, they'll do that too, you know, like all of it. And it was very, very clear when we walked in that we were not welcome. It was just very clear. It was like, you don't belong here, and, and, and we, we noticed. And, and I think we felt that way in different settings. 
Um, unfortunately, many of us experience even that in, in a church setting. But the reality is that, that if you go to a different country, I mean, it, and, and in some, if you go to certain countries, it is a scary thing. You, you, you're very aware that I don't fit this, like to the point of like, you know, you have like, you, you bring your stuff in case you have to get out of there, like, like all of these things. It can be overwhelming. And, and, and so many people take this into their relationship with God, especially when it's fresh, when it's new. And, and, and we literally, we walk in and, and maybe we've just experienced Jesus and, we're, and we walk in and man, if you come to the 10 o'clock, you're like, oh my goodness, right? We feel that and we sense that, but, but he is saying, stop, you are a citizen. You're a citizen. You belong. Jew, Gentile, far, near, you belong. You are a citizen of the only kingdom that matters. And so live in light of that. Have that confidence knowing that you are a major part of this. You belong Paul's metaphor of God's new community changes to something even more personal next. He describes it as what? A family. So being members of, of God's kingdom, that, that, that wasn't enough to God, which is, which is incredible. Like, like he didn't just bring us in, right, to his kingdom and say, this is all available to you. This, you, get, you get this. Yes, I threw this in. I'm a great God. But no, he then took it the next step, and through Christ, he draws us even closer, and it says he makes us members of his family. We are fellow family members, equal in every spiritual way before God. Elsewhere, Paul uh, says we are God's household. And in 1 Timothy 3.15, says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. How are we one family? Well, we have from verse 18, we have the same Father, and we have access to that Father. From chapter 1, verse 5, we saw that the church is made up of adopted children. And so in this new, in this family, we have responsibilities, each of us fulfilling our God-given, God-designed role, bringing glory to our Father. In Ephesians 5, 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children. And then Paul says we need to treat each other in such a way that communicates that we are family. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 and 2, he says, Do not, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. See, when we think of this picture of a family, you know, a healthy family, it has honesty, Right? Right? Some, of, some of our biggest gripes about our family sometimes is like, man, I just don't feel like they're being honest. I feel like they're putting up this fake facade. It's not, it, we're not operating in truth, right? So, so in, a, in a healthy family, there is honesty. There is trust, right? There's a deep, there should be a deep-rooted trust that, that they have your best interests in mind, that they care about you, right? Like a, a healthy family, they care for each other. Right? Like blood is deeper. It's thicker than water. Like, like we, we, we say these things to each other. Um, a healthy family, they confront each other. Like a healthy family loves each other enough to tell each other when things aren't right with each other. Right? Some of us, like we're holding on to things literally and, and, and it's actually demonstrating in us a lack of love because we're, we're not like confronting a family member. Like, like love, like when we think of a family, a family needs to love deeply. 
And, and so when we think about like loving deeply as a family, the church is not a building we go to or an event that we attend. The church is a family living life together on mission. The church is, is, is a part of your Christian identity. We all have a role in God's household. Do you, do you see why he's saying unity matters so much? Like, do you see why? He's trying to communicate, and this was very clear early, early in the week for me when I was preparing this. God like, was literally saying, Steve, this is a big deal because this is a family issue. This is a family issue. It's not this disconnected scriptural. It's a family issue. You are my son, Steve. This is a family issue. Communicate that it's a family thing. You know, think about for some of us, think about when it's family issues, how much that throws us off. Right? Like if I've got an issue with my, with my father, with my mother, with a sibling, with my nieces, my nephews, or, 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 or uncles, or aunts, or like whatever. Like it, it is so interesting how families, like nothing else, creates another level of hurt, of anger, of even love. And, 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 and for some of us, we have that. We're carrying that right now because for whatever reason, family hurts deeper. And it's just different. And we think about, like, in relation what he's trying to communicate. He's like, you have to look at each other like a family. This is critical. It's critical because for whatever reason, with our family, it's a big deal. But then when it comes to, like, church things, it's like, I'll just find another church. Or, or I'll find someone else to disciple. Or, like, be in a different community. Yeah, like, yeah, do you, whatever. Like, there's a lot of people. I have options, okay? Like, no. We are the family of God. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, we are all brothers and sisters. Okay? Sorry. You're linked to me. Like, it's just how it is. And I go back to this, like, picture. Um, my younger brother, at one point, got into some major, major trouble. And I'll never forget, I was by my dad when he found out. And it, it was something I'd never seen in my father before. It, it was literally, he just broke. I've never seen my dad do this before. He just broke. And it was not... A breaking of like, I am so mad at him. I can't believe him. It wasn't, he didn't break out of anger. He literally just broke out of love. And it broke his heart. I never seen, I never seen to this day, my dad just break. And, and it was maybe for me the most pure, tangible expression of like genuine love on this planet that I had seen. Because it was like everything else was stripped away and you just saw how much he loved my little brother. And when I think of that, you guys, it's twofold, right? It's not only this picture of my heavenly father, who when you're just doing your own thing, you are his son, his daughter. It literally breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. Jesus was put on that cross so that you could gain access to your father. It breaks his heart when you live like, like that doesn't matter. When you live like who cares? When you live in opposition to him and you say it's no big deal. That's what culture says. It's okay. I can do whatever I want. That breaks his heart. But, but the, also, the, the other takeaway for me is like when, when my brothers and sisters turn their backs on God, when my brothers and sisters go into something that is going to harm them, does it break my heart or do I condemn and kick out? And that's hard because you know what? Like, like I think for some of us in us, ugh, that sin in us just creeps up and causes these, these looks, these, these judgments that you have no business giving to your sibling. Man, we need, we need to break, our hearts need to break for each other. 
We need to look at each other in this way, and we need to love. I mean, if, if one of us falls or stumbles, it's not, oh, I, 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 I saw that coming. Right? Some of us say that. No, it's literally going, oh, my goodness, that breaks my heart. I care about them. I care about them being restored. I care about their relationship with God. I know how much he loves them. I know how much I'm called to love them. That is my sibling. I'm not okay with them falling. And that is the dynamic. That is why he is just stressing this whole family thing all throughout these chapters in Ephesians. He's like, do you get it? Because there was such hard hostility between these people groups. And he says, no, 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 I'm creating one. And, and just to clarify, this is what it looks like. And so he says, yeah, you're a citizen. Yes, you are now a family member. But then he goes into this third metaphor, which would have, which, which would have been vivid for his audience. Because for nearly a thousand years, the temple had been a focal point for Israel, right? Ever since Solomon. A great temple stood also in Ephesus. He's writing to Ephesians, right? And, and these churches around Ephesus and, and in Ephesus. And in Ephesus is this temple of Artemis, this incredible temple to this pagan god. And so these people, when he starts to talk about a temple, they're listening up and they're picturing something. And in verse 20, Paul says the foundation of this new temple is what? God's word, God's word. The apostles and prophets were teachers, and here Paul emphasizes their teaching. The church stands or falls based on its faithfulness to God's word. We, we see in Acts 2.42, the early church, what, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This has to be a commitment. For us as a church, this has to be a commitment for us as individuals. You will rise and fall based upon the authority that you give scripture over your life. This church as well. And when you think about this being, like, when, when you think about God's word being the foundation, I mean, what is bigger when you are house hunting than the report that says how the current foundation is? Right? That's a big one. That's not like, oh, we can get over that, honey. Like, no, that's, we got major issues, <laughs> right? It's a big deal. And I think for some of our lot, for some of us, the foundations are cracked. For some of us, the foundations are off or, or whatever. And, and, and it only becomes off when it is off God's word. And for us as a church, and when you think about uh, any church that is representing Christ and his body, it's literally God's word has to be a foundation. And when it ceases to be a foundation, we lose our foundation. Next, we see the cornerstone mentioned. There is only one cornerstone of this new temple, Jesus. And we think about what is a cornerstone, right? We, it's in a great song, all these things. What is that? Well, the cornerstone or foundation stone, or it's called also the setting stone, is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. All other stones will be set in reference to this stone. Thus, determining the position of the entire structure. Okay, so, so Jesus makes the whole building possible. Okay, he, the whole community is built on him. This cornerstone. He gives security to the building. He gives it the alignment that it has to have. Okay, that is Jesus, right? Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, uh, it, it says this. As you come to him, a living stone... 
rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. And what Peter is quoting here is Isaiah 28 and 16. And and he's talking about how through Jesus, the whole church is held together. It grows together. So there is no unity. There is no true lasting growth if Jesus is not the cornerstone. So what does that mean for us? Well, we have to preach Jesus. Like, like, like Jesus can't be absent in my preaching. <laughs> if he is, we got problems. Like we got, like we got cornerstone problems. <laughs> and, and, and I think for, for many of us in our hearts and our lives, as we think about the individual temples that you and I are and called to be, Jesus cannot be absent in your life. You have to have that cornerstone piece. As you move forward, as you think about what comes out of your, your mouth, your life, all these things, it's going to reflect alignment to the cornerstone. When we think about this church and what it represents, what it reflects, it's going to come back to the cornerstone. And as, as, as we think about like our role, Paul likens the people to stones, right? In verse 22 there, what did it say? In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so... Like, like, and Peter, as we just read uh, in 1 Peter 2.5, Peter says something similar as he calls us living stones. We're living stones. So we are, we are carefully shaped building blocks fitted to be built up into this new temple. Okay, like that needs to be pretty awesome to you. That literally, like, like, because I think we struggle with identity, significance, all these things. And he says, uh-uh, I have brought you in. You are like literally chiseled out, designed to be the perfect fit for this new temple, for this placement. Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, the foundation being the word of God. And you are right there. You have incredible value and significance to God. That should be the only thing that matters to you. And, and as you think about that, you should embrace whatever shape of block I am to whatever space in that wall he calls me to be and I am going to be that to the fullest I'm going to embrace that and I'm going to and I'm going to like rejoice in the fact that God says I want to use you Steve in that place to build this new temple you have incredible significance to God by saying you also, Paul is referring to the Gentiles being added to this building, which is so significant to them because previously they weren't even allowed to enter the temple. But now they're a part of it. God's presence is spread all throughout the world, wherever people believe in Jesus Christ. And, and notice it says, in the Lord, that we are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So through Christ, by the Spirit, God dwells in us personally and as a community. And as they're thinking about the temples and they're picturing these, 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 these marvelous spaces that humans have designed, 
unlike their temples, the church is no physical chamber in which an idol is kept. It is the vast spiritual body of the redeemed people of God where the Holy Spirit resides. Through Christ by the Spirit, there is a better temple made up of people from every ethnicity rooted in the teaching of Scripture. And we are joined together and we are built together by Jesus Christ. Paul also says that this temple is growing because believers are continually being added to it. What an incredible thought, like like that this new temple is in a continual state of construction. As as new people uh, continue to believe and put their their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, as you think about baptisms next week, like, like the picture of people making a decision to publicly acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they want to demonstrate, they want to show everybody this, like this, this incredible picture that they matter, that they mean something, because the fact is this, if every single person that believes plays an important role, is a block into this incredible new temple, that means that, they, that every single person brings value. So no matter how people have treated you, thought of you, looked at you, no matter your past, like, like if you are a Jesus follower right now, he says, you are in my new temple. You're a big deal. You're a citizen. Reconciliation has, 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 been, has, has happened on your behalf. You have access to God. And you have the Holy Spirit in you reminding you of that. Man, this ability to have peace from from Jesus, the ability to have reconciliation, the access. So the question is this, is he the cornerstone of this church? Is he the cornerstone of my life? Is he the cornerstone of your life? Because that, that corner piece That's going to dictate everything for you. And so I want to challenge us with that, to bring it back to him. I mean, for for us as a church, you know, we we identified as as elders our core values, and the number one core value, glorify Jesus. We are a family. And, and, And so as a result of that, that means we treat each other differently. Let's model and reflect that together. Amen? Let's pray.